opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Summer. And this is episode 22, Samuel Little. And is this our first episode of the new year? No. (laughs) We had Futoshi for the first of the year. (laughs) But our first recording in the new year. Yes. But technically not our first episode. Okay. Correct. Yes. So uh, ever since we've talked about him a little bit in the last episode, I've heard more about Mr. Little. This one seems like it's going to be just crazy and intense. It's very intense. But he is fascinating in a way that he's not like any other serial killer I've read about. In what way? We're going to get into that. Oh. Many so ways. you're just going to leave us on a cliffhanger until we get and there. They have to listen if they want to know. Even I have to, <laughs> Even I have to wait. <laughs> if you didn't read the show notes, yes, you have to wait. <laughs> okay, yes, I did not have time to read the show notes. Well, I have some color photos to show you, too. Yes, I, I saw your diagram. <laughs> time, uh, the timeline <laughs> of his arrest. <laughs> I like this. Okay. I guess, should we jump into Mr. Little's story? Let's do it. Samuel Little was a sadistic killer who found it sexually gratifying to rape and murder, with his foreplay being taking women out to eat to watch them swallow their food or even caressing their necks prior to raping and killing them. Wait, what? <laughs> See? there's a Is there a food fetish in this? It's not a food fetish. It's a neck fetish. So he just wanted to see them swallow their food. Yes. He had a fascination with necks, which we will talk about. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of a... Neck fetish. See, already he's very different from any other serial killer, I think. That is definitely different. (laughs) It's it's a weird one. Get ready. Okay. He claims to have never used a weapon in his murders. He would use only his hands to choke the women and enjoyed feeling their throats struggle for air. He would sometimes let his victims revive after passing out from the strangulation just to see them gasp for more air and enjoyed seeing the terror in their eyes before choking them again. So it's the movement of the necks that's really getting him. The the gasping and the like... Yes, but even just necks in general. We'll talk about how he just loved a woman's neck. Okay. And and then just the common thing in serial killers when they see like the fear and the that moment is, when... Yes, that's common for serial killers, right? Yeah, that adrenaline mm-hmm. kicks in for them. After his capture, he even stated to the police in an interview that he wouldn't have wanted to murder the women if he couldn't use his hands because he found it exciting. He targeted mostly sex workers or women with a drug addiction because he knew the police would not look very hard into the murders. Ugh, and that's sad, but it's true. It is true. He had a very transient lifestyle with a girlfriend named Jean, who we'll talk about, 30 years older. Oh. They, <laughs> they shoplifted and then sold the items from the trunk of Little's car. And that's how he made his money. Having admitted to 93 murders across the U.S. between 1970 and 2005, With the FBI having confirmed 60 of the confessed murders, he has killed more people than any other serial killer in U.S. history, making him the most prolific. Wait, how many? 93, and they've confirmed 60. So there's probably 30 that are still unidentified or... Right. Oh, wow. Okay. That is a big number. It is. The biggest number in U.S. history? Yeah. So before knowing about Samuel Little and this, who did you think was our most prolific serial killer in the United States? Oh, I 
I couldn't say. I don't know. I was thinking maybe Gary Ridgway. Gary Ridgway. He was the, remind me again. The green, what was it? The green river killer or. Oh, yes. Because mm-hmm. he would, he had a similar pattern too. Yes, he did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know how many victims he had. Or the Golden State Killer. I thought maybe I was he thinking was more up there. The yeah. Golden State Killer. Yeah. And I think Samuel Little has, like his combined count is more than the Zodiac and the Golden State Killer and like some other serial killers combined. I mean, it's almost a hundred. Yeah. That confirmed. Yeah. Many believe that he avoided being captured for decades because he would target sex workers and drug addicts. As we know, not much was done to solve crimes in the 70s, 80s, and 90s in most counties, which involved the victim being a sex worker. He even evaded police several times, with one instance being in Florida when a police officer came up to his car after he had just raped and murdered a woman in the back seat. Now, I remember you telling me about this. <laughs> the policeman even looked at the dead woman through the car window, but did not arrest Little. But hold on. We will talk about that in more detail, as well as other close calls with law enforcement. Okay. I have thoughts. So when we get there. <laughs> get ready. I will tell you all about that. Okay. And there were there was another one, too. Oh, so yeah. this he happened. Had, he had multiple close calls, for sure. His murders spanned over three decades across at least 19 states. After his capture, he drew portraits of his victims, which the FBI and local police would use to identify Jane Doe's. Many women were identified, but there are victims that still need to be identified. We will share the FBI link to the portraits on our Facebook page and our Instagram story. And those photos or those pictures are actually pretty decent. They like are. You can actually identify a person by looking at these. So I don't want to compliment him. I know. It's hard because you don't want to compliment him. And it's, it's not like he's the best artist. But right. there's very good detail, I think, in the eyes and the mouth. And of course, he has a lot of detail in those necks because he loved the neck. But yeah. I think there's enough detail that you could identify. And obviously, they have identified yes. victims. So if you take a look at those pictures, you may be able to identify someone. So let's get into Samuel's early life. Yeah, I don't know much about his early life, so let's get into that. Samuel Little was born June 7th, 1940 in Reynold, Georgia, so from our state. No. Yes. <laughs> I thought you would have that reaction. I'm like, she's going to be upset. Like the most prolific serial killer is uh, no. was born in Georgia. Yep. I would have never thought. For some reason, I thought he was from Ohio. He spent a lot of time in Ohio, but he spent a lot of time in California and Florida. He spent a lot of time everywhere. He was all over the place. He was. Very transient. How disappointing. (laughs) So, sorry, Georgia. (laughs) Um, He was born to Bessie Mae Little, who was 16 years old. His father was 19-year-old Paul McDowell. And Little would often use the alias Samuel McDowell throughout his life. Little would later tell investigators that his mother was a sex worker, but a 1904 census had her occupation listed as maid. After his birth, Little was later moved to Lorraine, Ohio, and was raised by his paternal grandmother. Little had a fascination with necks at an early age and remembers being distracted by when females would touch their necks in class. Little said that his mom was an alcoholic and that he did suffer from abuse in his younger years. And if what he says is true and his mom was a sex worker, there may have been men around that abused him. But there's no evidence of that, and he never says that? Uh, he says he was abused. Oh. It sounds like he was abused heavily. Well, I mean, we never promote that kind of behavior, no. obviously. <laughs> but Don't some... like child abuse at no, all. No, but maybe that adds to why he did what he did. One when... of the factors, it could be. 
Right. As I say, the making of a murderer, right? We've seen it multiple times with Eiler. Yeah. During his middle school years, he had issues academically and with discipline. Then in February of 1954, at the age of 14, Little was sent to the Boys Industrial School in Columbus, Ohio, which was a reformatory for teenagers for, he says, stealing a bicycle. He spent 18 months there and had 47 reported disciplinary infractions during his stay. It appears that his rap sheet begins in November of 1956 when he is arrested in Omaha, Nebraska and sent to a youth authority for burglary. So he's starting with the felonies. Yeah. (laughs) Going straight in. (laughs) Starting with the felonies. (laughs) Not messing around. (laughs) No time for misdemeanors. No, no. Burglaries. We'll start there. In 1961, at the age of 21, Little was convicted of a burglary that had taken place in Lorain, Ohio. It was a furniture store. He received a three-year prison sentence. Upon his release, he returned to shoplifting and theft. Police said that he would shoplift during the day and then go look for women during the evening or early morning hours. He would kidnap, beat, and rape women and was charged with sexual crimes several times, but unfortunately, the witnesses often wouldn't show up to testify in court, so the charges would be dismissed. So misdemeanors in the daytime, felonies at nighttime. Yes. And then those cases would get thrown out because the witnesses witnesses are not showing up. Yep. Yeah. Which, I mean... Sometimes you can't blame them for not showing up. Right. I mean, they're scared. and Yeah, because they can be charged, too, since prostitution is a crime exactly. in the United States. He was obviously going after sex workers because most of them wouldn't show up for court. Yeah. In 1966 in Cleveland, Ohio, Little was arrested for assault and battery after beating a woman. His violent crimes against women continued to escalate. Then on January 31st, 1970, when he was 30 years old, Little met the first victim whose life he would take. Okay, so this is his first crime. His first, not first crime. First first murder. murder. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Mary Brosley. Mary suffered from a hip surgery that left her with a limp and metal plate and screws in her body. She also had a deformed pinky finger from the time she cut it badly while slicing vegetables but refused medical care, just allowing the severed portion of her finger to dangle until it fell off. Oh, what? Oh, my gosh. That's savage. We do not (laughs) chop vegetables in my household. (laughs) Oh, or if there's a digit dangling, you should go to the ER. Yes. How do you just ignore that? She did. Oh, gosh. Well, that takes a lot of um, resilience. (laughs) Her ex-husband beat her regularly during their marriage, and Mary had an alcohol addiction. In June of 1970, on the night before her disappearance, Mary had been found walking along the highway at night. Mary told the police that two men had pushed her out of a moving vehicle. The next day, Mary was supposed to be taking a bus back to Boston, but she never came home. It was suspected that she hitched a ride from someone and stayed somewhere, which was apparently common for her to do because her family told police she would take rides from anyone that would give her alcohol. Mm. Her sister would later tell investigators that she had been in and out of the hospital with cirrhosis of the liver and suffered from an eating disorder as well as alcoholism. Mary was 33 years old and living in Massachusetts when she left her seven-year-old son without telling anyone that she was leaving. Oh, no. Yeah. Her family had told police that she was a severe alcoholic. Her family and the police were unable to locate her. Six months later, Mary would make her way down to North Miami Beach, Florida. It was New Year's Eve, and she would meet Little at a bar. Decades later, Little would tell police that he remembers her limp, a scar on her finger, and that Mary told him she left her family because she had issues with alcoholism. 
He also described the flowered sundress she was wearing, as well as the chain necklace around her neck that he played with before strangling her to death in a secluded area near the Everglades before burying her body in a shallow grave. About a year later, a father and his 15-year-old son came across Mary's badly decomposed body. The medical examiner's report showed a blood alcohol level of 0.29 to 0.37. According to the medical examiner, if it was on the higher end of that range, it could have been enough to kill her. However, the fact that her body was found in a six-inch deep grave with one leg sticking out made it more certain that someone else was involved. A confirmed cause of death was never established, though, because by the time her body was found, it was unrecognizable. Her family would not know what happened to her for nearly 50 years. 50 years? Yes. Holy crap. That is insane. So So the the whole time they just think that she's just gone. And she had a habit of leaving and going places, but obviously they thought she was coming back. And then her body was found how long? About a year later, her body was found, but it was so decomposed. They couldn't identify who it was and it was in Florida. So obviously her family up in Boston isn't searching in Florida for her. They wouldn't think she had gone that far south. Right. That's so sad. Mm -hmm. We've just spoken about his first murder victim, one whose identity was later matched, but I want to talk about one of the unmatched confessions, Marianne. In 1971 or 1972, Little met an attractive 18 or 19-year-old transgender black woman between 5'6 and 5'7 and approximately 140 pounds. They met at a bar known as the Pool or the Pool Palace near 17th Avenue in Miami, Florida. A few days after that, they met again at a bar in Overtown, where Little offered her a ride home. Marianne lived with several other roommates between the Brownsville and Liberty City area. When they arrived at her place, one of Marianne's roommates asked if they could go buy a can of shaving cream, so they went back to Little's car. At that time, he drove a gold four-door Pontiac Le Mans. Little drove Marianne north on Highway 27 and strangled her on a driveway, which was possibly near a sugarcane field. He then drove further down Highway 27 into the Everglades, turned down a dirt road that led to a river or a swamp, and dragged Marianne's body approximately 200 yards into thick, muddy water. It is not believed that her body was ever found, and she goes unidentified to this day. There is an interview that he gives about her to the FBI. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Marianne's about five, seven, seven, five, six. She weighed about one thirty. Five, one maybe one forty. And how old do you think she was? She was nineteen. Okay. And where was she from? No, Miami, down in Liberty City. Okay. And did she? Um, you mentioned before she had a boyfriend, or she talked about a boyfriend. Name Wes. Wes. Yeah. And tell me about where you met her at. I seen her down at the Glar on Seventeenth Avenue, and she had only short cream. Manuscript, <clears throat> cream and red. So then this opportunity popped up mm-hmm. take her to the store. Right. Instead of me bringing her back to the apartment, I went down to 27th Street. That's going down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, mm-hmm. called the gate of the Alligator Alley. It, it turns into, it runs into Alligator Alley. Right. But the further out you get, the further you get out of Miami. Right. And you, that vegetation, man. Yeah. How far outside of Miami? About. It wasn't too far to Miami, right okay. there. I was in my stepdad's car, Pontiac Levans. And where did you take her to? Continue down to myself. 
Mm-hmm. Got back on 25. Going outside of Miami. Going away from Miami. Going away from Miami. We got down past the, uh, past the, let's say, limits. So I continued on toward Fort Lauderdale. And I seen a road going off the main road back into the station on the left side. So I got out of the car, pulled it out, and drove her into the growth back there. And pulled her deeper into the, there's a path, a little path was running somewhere, I don't know where it led it to, but it was running deeper into the undergrowth. It, it's like uh, Everglades like that. And we ran into uh, uh, some water running. Yeah, but before we got to the water, the earth was mushy. I turned loose. And she fell into it face down. And how far outside of Miami do you think you were? About a mile, two miles. Uh, what year did Marianne occur? Uh, 72. Okay, 1972. We just watched the interview. Yeah. First of all, the fact that this happened in 1972 and he has so much memory. Vivid memory. Yes. About what he did, what, what she, she was wearing. Like. Yeah. Like he remembers her miniskirt was cream and red, that they went and got shaving cream. And then he remembers what the brush looked like where he took the body. Yeah. The route that he took. Everything that he did, he remembers it perfectly. Yeah. So his photographic memory is a little scary. It's impressive. It is. How much you can recall. Right. And at least he can use, and FBI can use his photographic memory to try and find some of the victim's identities now. Yes. And you would think with his victim count, it would have blurred together. He's got almost 100 victims. Right. But he can remember every single probably one. every single one yeah. in such detail. Yeah. The Insane. year, the event, everything that happened, what clothes they were wearing, and what would, they looked like enough to draw them. That memory could have been used for something beneficial, something good. But instead, here it is. He used it. Yeah, for evil. For evil, right. Yeah. But do you notice how he likes retelling the stories and he's smiling at some parts, I talking about that. dragging the body, and he really gets... He this, likes reliving that. He loves it. it. It's exciting to him. Yeah, it's like reinvigorating him. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you more about this. Yeah. We'll put a he, link up to this video so everyone can watch If you want to watch it, you can watch it. Yeah, he doesn't seem like he has any remorse. Not at all. He's just telling it like it's the good old days. Right. And like he's like hanging out with a friend and it's just you're going to the store. He he just murdered somebody. Doesn't flinch. So nonchalant. It's beyond comprehension (laughs) for us. Jennifer cannot. (laughs) It really is. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Especially when they don't have remorse and, and you can see it. He's in his 70s? Yes. Shoot. I First of all, I'm in my, I'm going to be 30 <laughs> and I can't remember what I did last week. Same. So talk about 30 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy to me. Like it, like it was just yesterday. Yeah. Or not even yesterday. Sometimes I forget yesterday. So like, it, like it just happened. <laughs> yeah. He must take a lot of um, lines main. <laughs> B12. <laughs> yeah. All the stuff Fish for oil. the brain. <laughs> For the next three decades, Little would murder women in various states with a victim count of 93 by 2005. We will talk about the timeline of some of his crimes and murders, but won't get into detail of all of them. We could easily do a two or even three-parter on Little. But there is a podcast that does a great job of covering his victims in the Southeast called The Fall Line. 
Now, there are a couple of documentaries you can find on various streaming platforms, and there are books out about them as well if you want to do a deeper dive about these cases. I think on Amazon Prime, I saw a few. Yeah. In May of 1971, Little was charged with armed robbery in Cleveland. While awaiting trial, he is charged with sodomy. He is later found not guilty on the robbery charges and never tried on the sodomy charge. In 1972, after his acquittal, Little took up with a woman 30 years older than him, Aurelia Jean Dorsey. She would become his girlfriend and crime companion until she died in 1988 of a brain hemorrhage. Little and Jean moved all over the South and Midwest. They supported themselves by shoplifting items and selling them out of the trunk of Little's car. Little committed murders during this time. However, most of the victims remain unknown. Jean was aware that Little went out at night to find women, but she thought he was just having sex. She was not aware of his sexual crimes or his murders. And he does state this in an interview that she had no clue what he was doing. Oh, so she only took part in the... The theft. She had nothing to do with the murders. And he would even say in his interview, you you know she was an old lady so at night when she was sleeping i would go out and look for women and she just thought he was going out to go on dates or sleep with women she had no clue he was murdering man that's such a what do you think when you hear that it's mind-blowing you know you wouldn't think someone would do that september of 1976 little gets arrested for the kidnapping beating and rape of a woman near st louis missouri he spends only three months in a county jail now we're going to talk about some of the georgia crimes okay in 1977 a black female between 30 to 40 years old was strangled by little with her body being left in the woods off Ackwright road in macon georgia 1980 or 1981 little murders a black female around 25 to 30 years old that he met in tennessee and dumps the body in dade county georgia November of 1982, Little is caught shoplifting in Mississippi, and police notice that he matched a description of the suspect who murdered Melinda Rose LaPree, who was 22 years old. He is charged with her murder. Unfortunately, a grand jury declines to indict him for LaPree's murder. During this time, Little was extradited to Florida for the murder of 26-year-old Patricia Ann Mount. Her body had been found in September of 1982. During that trial, the prosecution's witness did identify Little in court as a person who spent time with with Mount the night before she disappeared, but due to mistrust of witness testimonies, Little was acquitted in January of 1984. So she showed up and then they just didn't believe her? <sighs> yeah. Man, and see, that's, I, I hate to say that's why some people don't show up because yeah, they're not going to be believed anyway. Yeah. And I was actually a juror on a murder trial. And the victim was a sex worker. What was your experience from that? To get that experience, it was really interesting to see that side of things because we see the other side of court. Of course, the day that the verdict had to be read, my left eye started twitching and it twitched for like two months. Why was was it twitching? Were you you so disturbed? I think I was so disturbed from all of the crime scene photos, which you wouldn't think somebody who's into true crime would be disturbed by those. But But when it's like real life and it's it's so close to home. Yeah, it was real life. And you play a role in deciding someone's, someone's fate. fate. Yeah. But that... I can say that a lot of the witnesses were former drug dealers, former sex workers, and a lot of the other jurors didn't want to convict this person based on the testimony of these witnesses because they didn't believe them. And, and there was also the science behind it, the DNA evidence under the fingernails and things like that. And they just wanted to, some of the jurors just wanted to just forget all about that. 
when we first went back there. Oh, wow. But so you've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. Like, they just automatically think, well, they're a sex worker. I'm not going to believe them. And that's just so sad because just because you're a sex worker doesn't mean you aren't violated. Doesn't right. Mean, or witnessed like, a murder or a, yeah. of your friend. And so I just thought that was interesting to see that side of things. And there's truly people who just will not believe the testimony of a sex worker. And that's really sad, but that's probably why Little got off many times. And probably why they don't, one of the reasons that they don't show up as witnesses. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, as a society, we have to do better about that. Mm -hmm. We can't just discount people because of the industry they work in. Right. There, I'm sure there are people who do really wholesome things that are liars. Exactly. When they testify. So yes. you can't, yeah, you can't do that. After his acquittal, Little moved to San Diego, California, my hometown. Oh, yep. Then in October of that same year, he kidnapped, beat, and strangled 22-year-old Lori Barros. She ended up surviving that attack and reported it to police. Go, Lori. I know. Very amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. One month later, Little was found by police in the backseat of his car with a woman who was unconscious. She, too, had been beaten and strangled. Wait, so she was in the car? Another, another woman. He was in the car with another woman when the police found him in the same location where Lori had been attacked. Little was arrested for the attempted murders in San Diego and served two and a half years in prison. Not long enough. The amount of times this guy is arrested. He was arrested over 50 times in 24 different states. He spent, I think, a total of about 10 years, like, collectively throughout his life in prison before... Before, he, before he, it was discovered that right, he was the serial, serial killer. killer. Yes. And it was for um, sexual crimes, burglary, things like that, armed robbery. After his release in February 1987, Little moved to Los Angeles and committed at least 10 more murders, including identified victims Carol Alford, Audrey Nelson, and Guadalupe Apodaca. Little would later tell the FBI that he murdered numerous women throughout that decade in Los Angeles, the South, and Ohio. In 1991, Little stole a carton of cigarettes in Lorraine, Ohio, and hit someone while he was attempting to flee. He is arrested and charged with aggravated battery. Little pleaded guilty to the charges from 1991 and spent about two years in prison in the late 90s. Little claimed to have killed his last victim in 2005 at the age of 68. 68, you're almost ready for Medicare. <laughs> Uh, well, he's ready You're for murder. Like retired. You oh should my be, God. Like, you should be looking at your pension and you should be right. looking at, you know, a house at the beach. Yeah. Retirement. Um, he's still killing at 68. Does he have a job? A theft was his job. He would okay. steal things and sell them. So he was like a career criminal. Yes. Well, then he did not have retirement to look forward to. <laughs> he did not. But wow, 68. Still committing those Still killing, yes. Crimes. Yep. And this woman's name was, he said, Nancy, and it was in Tupelo, Mississippi, and she was strangled. And these are all people he's confessed to. These aren't even bodies that are found. They have linked a bunch of his crimes to unidentified victims, and some are still unidentified because they're in the system as Jane Doe's, and then some were identified. They know whose body it was, but they didn't know who killed them. Okay. Until they eventually until now. arrest him. Right, until now. So then, in 2007, Little Rose 
arrested in Los Angeles on a drug charge. He had cocaine and he pled guilty to that charge. Little fails to attend his court-ordered drug rehabilitation program and a bench warrant is issued for his arrest. Those can just stay open for many, many years and just pop up. Yeah, like if you're pulled over mm-hmm. or something, they run your name. Oh, you have a bench warrant. Yeah, so he has this open bench warrant from 2007. Little was finally captured on September 5th, 2012 at 72 years old, but on drug charges for failure to complete his court-ordered probation. Yeah. So it wasn't for murder yet. He was at a homeless shelter in Kentucky. He was extradited to California to face the narcotics charge, and police later used DNA testing to establish that he was involved in the murders of Carol Alford, who had been killed in July of 1987, Guadalupe Apodaca, killed in September of 1987, and Audrey Nelson, killed in August of 1989. All of these women were found murdered on the streets of Los Angeles. He was charged on January 7, 2013, with their murders. So this arrest is what caused them to get his DNA? Yes. And then put it into the system because now we have DNA in the system that they can actually use and cross-reference and whatever they do. Yeah, the database. Because this happened back in the 70s and 80s. 70s, 80s, 90s, he was killing. And it wasn't until like the mid-90s that they actually started using a database with DNA Just a few months after those charges were filed, the police started investigating Little for the murders committed in the 1980s of three dozen other women. In September of 2014, Little was tried for the murders of Alfred Nelson and Apodaca. DNA evidence was presented, as well as testimony of witnesses who had been attacked by Little previously. And on September 15th, Little was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. I mean, and that's only three of the murders Mm -hmm. that he was found, he was convicted for. Right. But keep ready. The floodgates are about to open. Okay. Yeah. We're about to find out, like... A lot more. Okay. In 2017, Mary Brosley's remains were identified. Her son, now an adult, said that he was raised by a great aunt and didn't find out about his mother's death until that year. Remember, she had been the alcoholic that went to Florida that he had strangled. Yeah. He had always hoped he would see her again. He said the news of his mother's death by a serial killer made him angry, but did provide some closure. Mary's sister said that it was an absolute shock when she was contacted by a detective and didn't realize that her sister had gone to Florida at all, but that she suspected something bad had happened to her. But it would be another two years before her murder was actually linked to Little. So the body was identified in 2017. Her family was notified. And then in 2019, it was linked to Little. Wow. So they think that she was just on the run. They maybe they suspected it was foul play what happened to her, but they didn't know it was little yet. Like two years later, they find that out. Before they identified her body and before they knew that like was Mary. What, like what the family thought? Yeah, the family probably thought she was just starting maybe a new life, had to get away. You know, her maybe. sister said she felt like something bad had happened to her. Yeah, but then her son said... He always hoped he had seen would see her again, yeah. Yeah, so that's... That's sad. That is really sad. In 2018, Little started confessing to the FBI about other murders he had committed across the U.S. In total, he would confess to killing 93 women. Showing no remorse, Little would go into detail about his crimes with the investigators and appeared to enjoy reliving it through the retelling of the murders. Little described his victims as grapes on a vine. In an interview with police, Little said they had no idea who was murdering all of the women. So he would go back to the same cities sometimes to, as he puts it, pluck me another grape. 
He then went on wow. to describe looking at the women in cities as grapes on a vine he could choose from when he wanted to kill. Little also spoke about his obsession with the necks and how he would always choose a woman to kill based on how her neck looked. He did not have a specific victim type. He said he would kill women of various ages and race, height, and weight, but they had to have a nice neck. What's a nice neck? Like a slender, like nice... Um, slender or where he could see like the shape of the muscles on the sides, but not all of his victims were slender, but he did say that he would never kill somebody that was over a certain weight because he would want to see the neck. I see. And he would have to be able to move the body. And he clearly picked people that people wouldn't look for. Yes. That were that he imagined people wouldn't look for. Yeah. And he was right. At that time, those deaths, they weren't investigated. One close call with police for Little was in Florida, which I mentioned briefly in the opening. He actually had a dead body in the backseat of his car. He told so this is the one. This is the one. He told investigators that after he had just choked a woman to death, he saw blue lights coming up and jumped out of the car and tried to act like he was zipping up his pants. The officer asked him what was going on over there, and he said nothing. Then Little says, me and my wife are just having intercourse. Little proceeds to say that the police officer went to look in the car and looked in that window with a flashlight and shined it right on the dead woman that was laying there in the back seat with her face straight up. Now, this to me, I couldn't believe that the police officer saw the body, mm-hmm. didn't even like... Didn't ask any questions, didn't, ask, didn't tap on the windows because he said before the officer could take a second look, Little said he started rambling on about something to distract him. And then the officer said, you need to get out of here and left. Now, and I think when we were talking about this, we discussed maybe in the area this happened, maybe there were other things like crimes it's a very like crime ridden neighborhood and so so maybe he was focused on something else but there was literally a dead body in that back seat the officer shined a light on it and how do you even like i think he was distracted by little saying oh it's me and my wife we're having intercourse and he didn't question it didn't tap on the window to see if the lady was okay i feel like that would be something you should do right i would think so like, let's like, make sure this guy is telling the truth and this isn't somebody who's been kidnapped. Yeah. And she was naked and her face was up, yes. like facing mm-hmm. upward. I mean, he describes it a lot more crudely than I will. But yes, just face straight up and dead in the backseat. Officer shines a light. That's not like a normal resting It's not. Spot and and if the cop is coming position. up, right, wouldn't his wife then want to cover up or something, but just laying yeah. right there? It just didn't make any sense. But little says, and the cops say this too. He's very charismatic. And so they think he just talked his way out of it and distracted the cop. I can see cop. that. Just from that interview, I, I can kind of see mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So that was one instance. <laughs> My goodness. There's another. Yes. And when he's describing this too, he got visibly excited. This is an FBI recording as well that people can watch. Another close call for Little was in Alabama and almost the same thing happened. He told investigators that he had just gotten through killing a woman in his car when the sheriff pulled up. But again, they didn't question his story or run his plates and they left. So he was like, well, I'll just try that story again about me and my wife having intercourse and it worked. It worked last time. 
I worked for him twice. He's, he was never caught for any murders. He was caught because of a drug charge. <laughs> Isn't that so just... It's baffling to me. Yes. <laughs> just, I don't understand it. Yeah. And it was two different states, so we can't say, oh, it's just Florida. Crazy things happen in Florida. Well, even though that's true. It is true. But then it happened in Alabama, too. So that's kind of strange. He got away twice with a dead woman naked in the back of his car. We got to do better. Yeah. <laughs> Much better. Little would tell police, I never cut, stabbed, burnt, bit, none of that. No blood. I don't like blood. His MO was to hit women on the back of the head and then strangle them. Police say this left behind no forensic evidence after the bodies deteriorated, and since he left many of the bodies in the Florida Everglades, water and animals would get to them, and they were so badly decomposed that there was no way to determine cause of death in many of his victims. Little also told police that he left one victim at a pig farm and her skin had been eaten off of her face and the rats oh. had gotten to the body. And oh I guess he saw this one on the news. Since DNA wasn't really used regularly until the mid-1990s, he got away with many of his sexual crimes and murders. Because think about it. There's no gunshot wound, no broken bones. That's true. The way he killed people, mm -hmm. it was... I mean, he has his fingerprints all over the bodies, but... At that time, when, there were no ways to link that. Well, and if the skin actually is decaying, true, you're not going to have anything to use. And then he put a lot of the bodies, he said, in the Florida Everglades, which, you know, there's crocodiles, alligators, yeah. turtles. He was smart about how he disposed of yep. the bodies as yep. well. It's insane. This whole story is so just crazy. It is, isn't it? And he, oh, he's the worst. So let's go back to Georgia. Macon, Georgia, September 2018. Bibb County Sheriff's Office. Captain Shermaine Jones received a call from the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council regarding confessions of a serial killer and was given the opportunity to interview Little about some cold cases. Because at this time, he was telling them all the different places he had killed people. So they got a call. Like, why is he all of a sudden being so open about his crime? He loved talking about them. And he would tell investigators what he wanted to share, which was about the crimes and how he committed them. But when they started to turn the conversation to the victims, he did not like that. He would almost shut down. He didn't want to talk about oh, like them as individuals. Them... Yes, they were objects to him. So when they started to make them more human. Yeah, it was done. Would... Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. done. Hmm. Interesting. Jones said that he felt Little read him from the moment he walked into the interview room. Jones said the first thing he noticed was Little's charisma and said that he was a personality that's very comfortable in his own setting. The first half hour of their conversation was talking about the area of Macon, but Jones noticed that Little seemed to have a photographic memory because the details that he recalled were very vivid. Jones went on to describe the encounter in a WGXA news article by Claudia Coco on February 20th, 2019. And this is quotes. He went back to the scene, that time frame, in his mind, said Jones. He kind of perked up and, oh yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And you can see his eyes kind of fixate and he's looking like he sees a movie. Jones recalled how Little gave intricate details about jewelry and skin color. He said Little spoke of the Jane Doe like he saw her yesterday. We showed him the facial reconstruction that the GBI had done and he got upset because it didn't look like her, said Jones, end quote. 
In 2019, Miami-Dade police homicide detective David Denmark interviewed Little about Mary Brosley's death. When Little gave the detective the details about Mary, her clothing, and the necklace she was wearing the evening he killed her, it matched with the coroner's report of clothing and the jewelry found on her body. When Little was shown the necklace Mary had been wearing nearly 50 years prior, Little told them that he remembered it. He also told police that he strangled her to death and only buried her that deep because the Florida ground was too hard and that he would never never try to bury someone in Florida again because of the ground. However, he would still commit many murders in that state. One investigator created a rapport with Little and knew that he thought of himself as a good artist. The investigator played on Little's superiority complex and told him that he should draw his victims. This was actually a really smart move on that investigator's part because Little appeared to have a photographic memory and gave several clues about his victims' appearances, clothing, and jewelry in the portraits. The portraits are being used on the FBI's website to help find the identities of these women. That is a really smart, smart investigator. Yeah. Seriously. And he probably was so eager to do that because he has such a God complex. Yes. As we can oh, see. Like, oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a good artist. Let me just draw for you. Yeah. And I can remember and I'm so great. And, you know, oh, yeah, let yeah. me just show you all of my victims. Yeah. I can definitely see them using that against him. Mm-hmm. It was very smart of that investigator. Two of his victims were in Savannah, Georgia. A detective, Sergeant Santoro, looked through thousands of police reports and reached out to retired officers from the 80s to try to solve these two cold cases. Using Little's description of Francis Campbell, the woman he killed in Savannah in 1984, and reports from that time, police were able to match her to a missing persons case. And in 2019, a Georgia grand jury indicted Little for Campbell's rape and murder. He was 78 at that time. And this is from an article in the Savannah Morning News by Will Pebbles on December 18th, 2019. Campbell's little sister, Diane Williams, and her brother-in-law, Ray Williams, sat in Heap's office with a copy of Little's indictment in front of them. Quote, It's bittersweet, Diane Williams said. It was the not knowing, and now that we know, it makes a big difference. I wish my parents were alive to see it. End quote. The other Savannah victim has not been identified, but we will put her sketch out on our Facebook and Instagram page as well. Yeah, so everyone can see all the mm-hmm. unidentified. Yes pictures. Little died on December 30th, 2020 in Los Angeles. The California Department of Corrections did not indicate the cause of death, but it was known that Little suffered from diabetes and had heart issues. It is said that he was getting art commissions during his time in jail. Art commissions? Who's commissioning Mm, this guy? I don't know. Come on, people. I know, right? We don't want to inflate his ego even more. Exactly. Seriously. And these are the pictures we're going to share on Instagram. So these are the victims in Georgia that still need identification. One is from 1974 in Savannah, Georgia. Little picked up a black female who was between 19 and 23 years old, drove her to a park, and choked her in his car. Little said the woman was dazed, but that she did not die, so he walked her to a grassy area and choked her until she was dizzy and fell to the ground. He wasn't sure if he had killed her when he left. She's described as being around 5 foot 5 inches tall, weighing 150 pounds with dark complexion. Little believed her name may have been Catherine, Cat, or Jane. Another woman from Atlanta, Georgia, a black female between 35 to 40 years old, killed in 1981, still unidentified, and Atlanta, Georgia, a black female between 23 and 25 years old, killed in 1984, and was possibly a college student. And again, we're going to put up those three pictures. 
There were several victims from Georgia that were identified. The Bibb County Jane Doe and a Dade County Jane Doe were both matched to two of Little's Georgia confessions. And then in 1984, Savannah, Georgia, Frances Campbell, as we talked about, 23 years old. And this is the sketch of her. And that is her picture, Jennifer. And you can see some similarities, I think. I see some. I don't know if I would have been able to identify that person. In the sketch of her, she's a lot thinner. I'm not sure if she had maybe lost some weight. Right. In comparison to the photo that they they chose. And Little said that he had met her for a date at a bar. And Campbell's body was discovered in 1985 on top of a pile of construction debris. He just left her body there. Seems like that's kind of his thing. He will take them to decompose or Mm -hmm. to the Everglades. Yeah, he's no criminal mastermind at all. No, he, but he just knew who to target. He, yeah, I think he knew enough to know that the police wouldn't look into sex workers, the murder of sex workers or drug addicts. And his nomadic lifestyle, I think, also helped him. They can't link him, right. He's in Florida. Then a month later, he's all the way up north in Ohio. And then he California. goes to... Yeah, then he's in Los Angeles. A month or two later, he is all over the place. Right. He had all those factors on his side. But... He is gone now. Yes. He passed away fairly recently. He did. During the pandemic. Yeah. Good. Good riddance. (laughs) Good riddance. We don't need him, that human on our planet. Right. You know. One less garbage human on the planet. We've learned there are many garbage people in this world. Yep. So what do you think of that one? That one is not as well known as, say, the Zodiac Killer. We all know about the Golden State Killer. This is true. Yeah. I'd only heard about him. Maybe a year or two ago. And I didn't even know he was from Georgia. He had a lot of murders in, in Georgia, Georgia yes. as well. He shocks me. Yes. Um, yeah, he's different than, like I said, anyone I've ever read about. As far as serial killers, he definitely had. He just he wasn't a criminal mastermind, but yet. He knew who to target. He has that photogra- charisma. Photographic memory. I think that's the most interesting thing to me. And then he could draw. So he drew his victims. And then yeah. the necks. The whole story was strange to me yeah i don't know what is so erotic about a neck i don't know um but that was his thing and so he even said if a woman was like touching her neck when he was talking to them he took that as a sign of yeah they want to sleep with him oh wow i don't know i guess as if they knew about his fetish (laughs) right right like reading the body language that way i never would have thought that but in his mind, yeah. that's what he linked it to. Mm-hmm. So he's a well, he's a sicko. Co- yeah, cover those necks. Where are your turtle take out, necks? Take out those turtle necks. Put some scarves. Go on those dates. You just don't know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most prolific serial killer in the U.S. That's right. Born in Georgia. Well, Same place you were born. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm At in... least we know that some some good people were born here too, because you were. Maybe that'll balance things out. The most prolific serial killer ever in the United States was born in Georgia, but also the sweetest human, Jennifer, (laughs) was born in Georgia. So the most empathetic one, too. See? I don't know if I can balance that out. (laughs) But maybe since your energy is here as well, maybe that'll help. No, no, no. I'm I'm San Diego energy. You can't come. It's Georgia. talking Georgia right now. Okay. Well, he was in California. I know. know. He was in San Diego. Speaking of California, our next episode, we're talking about the doodler. Another artist. Another artist and another serial killer. But he was committing his crimes in San Francisco. 
Oh, I so, love San Francisco. Oh, that'll be interesting. You'll probably have some insight there because it was happening, what, around the 70s or 80s? So around that time frame? Well, 80s and 90s, my uncle, he's an artist who's now passed away, but he wasn't the doodler. No, no, no. <laughs> he was he an was... artist for Activision and he worked for Disney back then, you know, the old games. And he had a really cool place in San Francisco. My dad would drive us down there. Aww. And we would like stay up all night because he had tons of computers. And so we would all have like our own computer and play video games. I and love he would that. order pizza and we just had a blast. And him and my dad were always laughing and telling jokes. Good memories. I love San Francisco. Yeah. What games would you guys play? The boxing game is one he invented. I liked Zork. It was like a... Is it Qbert? Is it Zork like Qbert? No, no, no. Zork, at that time, it was just reading. You wake up and you're in a field and to your north is a cabin and to your south is the woods and you have to decide where to go. And you have oh. to type in everything at that time. It's the 80s, girl. And, the, yes. <laughs> and then as far as like the visual games that he had, I know we did, um, like we had Atari, so we did all of the Frogger and there was a haunted, I think haunted house or haunted, haunted mansion. You had to go find these keys and blow out your candle so the ghost didn't find you. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I love games like that. I, Frogger, I remember fondly, but it was Frogger like the, was uh, the 90s version of Frogger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not just like three pixels for the front pink, pink little frog. Exactly. <laughs> You're not sure what it is. Is it a frog? It, it looks like a frog. Yeah. <laughs> we'll imagine so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, the games got better over time. But, yeah, we had some of the OG games. You did because you had the connection. So we hope that January has been good to everybody. Hopefully. Has it been good to you? We'll just, it's been good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you been working on your New Year's resolutions? Oh, I don't make resolutions. Okay. Just I'm surviving. <laughs> just surviving. Just surviving and okay. trying to build a house. That's it's framed, though. It's, oh, yes. It's looking great. Yeah. The podcast room is huge. It's so funny how big that turned out to be. We're excited for it. <laughs> it's awesome. And it's going to be soundproofed. It's completely underground. Completely. Ooh, so you won't be able to hear anything except no, us. It'll be just, yeah. Like we'll have no more background noise. What's that like? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know yet. Has January been good to you? So far, so good. Yeah. I know not everyone makes New Year's resolutions. What are yours? They're Tell us yours. very cheesy, but... I want to hear yours. <laughs> so I wanted to reset the year. I'm going to learn how to dance. And I'm, you know, hopefully... But you already dance. Well... Are you going to learn like, not... the samba? No. The I want to learn hip hop. Oh. Yes. I've already started okay it's a journey <laughs> can you do a move for us and we can post it maybe you'll, you'll see on tiktok okay all right we i won't promise that but maybe jennifer's gonna bust out some moves we'll see 20 the goal for the end of the year is for me to at least do one dance I'll start your basement dance gang yes but it's gonna be so low apparently it will be you <laughs> <laughs> apparently because nobody wants to join <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. You'll be happy. So that'll help me because I hate going to the gym. So hopefully dancing will help get me back into shape because I was in such good shape before the pandemic, even a little bit like into the pandemic. Yeah, because you actually were like running during the pandemic and stuff like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped. And, I mean, and then I stopped way before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped when I started to sell a house. Yeah. And then 
Hopefully I can buy a house this year. Yes, you can. I'm going to mm-hmm. keep hope alive. Yes. And keep up with my writing. Yeah. So those are my resolutions for the year. They're not many. So become a famous hip hop dancer, publish some novels. Yes. Buy your mansion. All of those. Yes. I love those. <laughs> Three maybe solid. Like, let's downscale. Oh, no, shoot for the stars. Was it shoot for the stars? You may land on the moon. Okay. Do All it. right. You've convinced me. Yeah. It didn't take much. Hopefully. I support you. Thank you. Definitely. You always do. (laughs) And I don't have any resolutions, so I'll just help you with yours. (laughs) You just want to move into your house. I do. That's That's not a resolution. That's a, it needs to happen. That's the goal. It just has to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. And then maybe when you move in, then you'll be like, okay, now I can kind of think about stuff like that. Like halfway through the year. Okay, now I'll think about (laughs) resolutions. Think about goals I can have. (laughs) I guess that's enough rambling from us, huh? Yeah. That's all we have. Until next time. Stay caffeinated. Get hobbies. And don't murder people. And maybe finish your resolutions or start on them. Mm, I support it. Let's work on starting on them. Yeah. Are you calling me out, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) 